So in light of our country's upcoming election, I'd like to preach on the Christian's duty to vote. Let's take a look at today's scriptures. In our gospel, the ten lepers listened to Christ's instructions and are thereby healed of their leprosy. So also in our personal lives, when we give heed to Christ, we too are healed of leprosy, moral leprosy. And as it is with individuals, so it is with social groups and the states. When the state gives heed to the word of God, its moral leprosy is healed. And I think we see this in the Old Testament text, if only in a symbolic fashion. Naaman was a very important political figure in his, uh, amongst his people. And he was healed of his leprosy when he gave heed to the word of Elisha, the man of God. Here we can see, again, in a symbolic manner, the state giving heed to the word of God and its moral leprosy being healed. In our second reading, the powers that be, the state has thrown St. Paul into prison for preaching the word of God. But, says St. Paul, The word of God is not chained. Yes, the word of God is not chained. And the church has been commissioned to bring this word to all nations. Thus, the prophetic voice of the church cannot be chained to any one nation or ethnicity, and how much less to any one political party. The church's moral wisdom comes from God and is not subservient to any one political party, as can be clearly seen, for example, in the document Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship, produced by the American Catholic bishops. In this document, we hear very clearly the church's prophetic voice. The church speaks prophetically, first and foremost, about the sanctity of human life, and the dignity of the human person. It speaks about marriage and family, which together form the foundation of human society. It speaks about education, the right of parents to educate their children free from state coercion. The church speaks about economic justice for all members of society, especially the poor and underprivileged. It promotes adequate health care, a just wage, and the rights of workers, as well as economic freedom and the right to private property. The church speaks of peaceful solutions to conflict instead of war. It speaks about the danger of weapons of mass destruction. It addresses the need to welcome and care for immigrants, refugees, and victims of human trafficking. It speaks to the importance of protecting the environment. It promotes a global solidarity that is concerned for developing nations whose human and natural resources are often exploited by the rich and the powerful. In short, the church, as Pope Paul VI has said, is an expert in humanity. This is so because she brings us the teaching of Christ himself, who came to reveal to us not only God, but humanity as God intended it to be. 
There probably is no political party in any nation in the entire world right now that is in perfect alignment with Christ's moral teaching. Therefore, as American Catholics who are loyal first and foremost to Jesus Christ, we must form our consciences according to the church's teaching and avoid being led astray by our party's blind spots. So, here are a few basic principles that can be found in our bishop's voting guide. First of all, when by our vote we seek to promote the common good of society, we must make an important distinction between, on the one hand, political policies that promote what is always morally wrong, and on the other, policies that promote what is not necessarily always wrong. The former pertain to what is called intrinsically evil acts. The latter pertain to prudential decisions that can be wrong, but that sometimes can be morally justified. A clear example of the latter is war. A country's decision to wage war can sometimes be morally wrong, but sometimes war can be morally justified. Now, in contrast to something like war, let's consider something that is always and everywhere wrong. For example, the direct taking of innocent human life through procured abortion. The right to life is the most fundamental human right, the right upon which all other rights are based. As St. John Paul II wrote in Christi Fidelis Laici, Without human life, there is no sense in talking about education and health care and other things of that nature. Human life has to first exist before human society and its conditions can be improved. When it comes to protecting the common good, there is no comparison between policies that promote things that are always evil and policies that promote things that are not always evil. Policies that promote what are what is always evil damage the common good in a unique way. They strike at its very foundation. Some examples would be, and again, these can be found in our bishop's document, policies that promote abortion, human cloning, scientific research that involves the destruction of human embryos, assisted suicide, and euthanasia. Torture, for example, waterboarding, and the so-called marriage equality movement, which seeks to redefine the very meaning of marriage. This brings us to a second principle. As our bishops teach, it is never morally justifiable to vote for a candidate because he or she supports a policy that promotes something intrinsically evil. But it can happen that sometimes a person votes for a candidate that supports something intrinsically evil, not because the candidate promotes this evil, but for other reasons. What might those other reasons be? Let's take an example. Let's say candidate A supports a single policy that promotes an intrinsically evil thing, while candidate B supports four policies that promote what is intrinsically evil. In this case, Susan Smith would be morally justified in voting for candidate A 
just so long as Susan didn't choose candidate A because of this candidate's support of the bad policy. In this case, Susan is not choosing an evil. She's not even choosing a lesser evil. She is voting in such a way as to limit all the evil she's able to limit in the here and now. Either candidate is going to do damage to the common good. So the only question is, which one's going to do the least amount of damage? And here is a a final principle to think think about. It might be asked, is it ever morally justifiable to simply abstain from voting because both candidates are problematic? The Bishop's Voter Guide does say that a decision to refrain from voting can, in some circumstances, be morally justifiable, but that such a decision would be extraordinary, meaning that such a decision would make sense only in extraordinary circumstances. When considering two problematic candidates, one needs to ask oneself, Taking account of the different candidates' overall political platforms and especially their positions on policies that promote things that are intrinsically evil, am I equally certain or less certain that candidate A will harm the common good of our society to the same extent as candidate B? It would be a very rare set of circumstances that would lead one to be certain that one candidate will harm the common good to the exact same extent as the other. Therefore, it's almost never advisable to abstain from voting. It's wrong not to take advantage of the opportunity to limit evil. We must, my brothers and sisters, resist any sort of pessimistic complacency or cynicism when it comes to politics. It's often said that politics are necessarily corrupt, This, my brothers and sisters, is not true. Politicians may be corrupt, but the political process itself, especially in a republic such as ours, is of the highest importance for the common good of society, and it can be furthered by good people. Let's you and me be those good people and fight for what is right. Let's you and me be the presence of God's love in the world a love that is necessarily social and has the courage to take responsibility for the common good. Remember, we are the church, and we have been commissioned by Christ to bring the healing truth of the Word of God to a world infected with moral leprosy. In this difficult task, let's not lose heart. See you at the booze on November 8th.